sermon hymn was all about the girl of whom we have read and of whom I will read again. And the video, the whispers of God coming to you, changing that which is in you into something that could only come from God himself. Let me read a second time the brief portions of Scripture, 2 Kings 5. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram, Damascus. He was a great man in the sight of the king, King Ben-Hadad II. And he was highly regarded for one reason. He was a brilliant military general. He was a general pattern of his day. In the year 853, the army of Aram, as tiny as a molehill, went against the army of Assyria, as high as Mount Everest. And in that historical battle, it was like David going against Goliath. And when the armies of Aram went out against Assyria, they said goodbye to their spouses, their parents, their families, They knew there was no way they could win the battle. Assyria was too mighty and they were too small. But in 853 B.C., the army of Aram defeated the army of Assyria. And for these reasons, he is highly regarded because he was a brilliant military general And then those four words that changed everything. The Bible said he had leprosy, an incurable disease that would take him after five to 12 years of great suffering. He had leprosy. Now, some of the soldiers from Aram had gone out into Israel and they had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served in Naaman's house serving Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress on that day when she heard that Naaman had leprosy, when she saw Naaman's wife turn as gray as shadows, when she heard the wailing that went throughout the house, and she heard the shock that had come over the nation, when she saw the devastation of those four words, But he had leprosy. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet Elisha, who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And then the verse. So Naaman went with his horses, verse 9, and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha did not come out. How offended Naaman was, the mighty army general. Elijah sent a servant and said to Naaman, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Your leprosy will be gone. You'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that surely Elisha would respect me enough to come out and stand in front of me put his hand over the leprosy and cure me of the illness. And the river of Israel, the Jordan, it is a putrid water. It smells, there is nothing clean in it. 
Why didn't he tell me to go back to the waters of my country? Why did he tell me into the Jordan? So he turned and went off in a rage. His servants came to him and they risked a lot. They risked their lives by challenging his decision. They say, my father, trying to calm him down. My father, if he had asked you to do something great, you would have done it without hesitation. He simply asked you to dip yourself seven times in the water. And Naaman listened to his servants and he dipped himself seven times in the waters of the Jordan. And the illness, the leprosy was gone. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He asked Elijah to come out of the house and he said to him, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, your God. During the summer, we talked for many weeks about great events, great people, great stories. There are 800 stories in the Bible. We covered four of them. We talked about some of the mightiest rulers on this earth. Bumping into Jehovah, having encounters with Jehovah. And when they left those encounters with Jehovah, these mighty kings, they were changed. They were amazed and astonished at the power of God that their eyes saw. That they stood there like the disciples in Matthew 8, when Jesus calmed the storm, and the disciples were dumbfounded, and when they finally found their voice again, they said, what kind of man is this? Why, even the storm winds and waves obey him. Even so were amazed those kings we talked about this summer. King Cyrus of the Persian Empire. Pharaoh Ramses II, the greatest of all the pharaohs who ever reigned over Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest ruler that the Babylonian Empire had ever seen. Mighty Sennacherib of the Assyrian Empire. King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire. Each one of these kings that we talked about this summer, they saw God's power. They encountered God through the means that God had used. Moses and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Jonah. They encountered God. And each of them spoke of one thing uh, pertaining to God. It wasn't his love. It was his power. Each of these kings were the most powerful people on this earth. And when they saw God's hand at work, they talked about his power because that's what they understood. The lion's den... And Darius says, has your God saved you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fourth person in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar said, it looks like the Son of God in the furnace with them. And they come out unharmed. Jonah pitches his tent as a three-day revival because the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, is that large. 
He has a three-day tent revival, and by the time he's through, it's not 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost with Simon Peter preaching. It is 120,000 people in Nineveh who come to the faith, and when Sennacherib sees it, he says, only God could have done such a thing. We shall worship only him. When I get to heaven, I'm going to see Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, you and I will see the face of God. And then there are others on our list. There's Jonathan for me and Connie. There's my mom, there's my dad, there's her mom, there's her dad. There's a list. I wonder if you have a list of which people in the Bible you want to see. You got a top ten list? You got a power ranking list? Is it Moses? Is it Abraham? Is it David? Is it Noah? How was it on the ark? Was it Joseph? Was it Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Elijah, Simon Peter... The great Apostle Paul, tell me about your conversion. Do you want to see the thief on the cross? If I talked to a thousand Christians and they had a list of their top 50, I guarantee you not a single one of them would have this girl on their list. The servant girl there in the city where Naaman lived. No one would have her on the list. Why would you? She's only mentioned three times in the Bible. 31,000 verses. She's only mentioned three times. Verse 2, 3, and 4. That's all. Moses is mentioned 700 times in the Bible. 90 times in the New Testament. And he's been dead 1,500 years. David is mentioned 1,100 times in the Bible. And maybe it's because the Bible describes him as the man closest to God. The man after God's own heart. And maybe because God loved him so much, his name is mentioned so often. This girl mentioned three times. You know how show-and-tell goes in school, right? We can say readily where Moses could bring God to Pharaoh Ramses. His show-and-tell was ten plagues. And his own advisors said to him, Don't be messing with this God, because he is more powerful than any God. Those plagues are the finger of God himself. That was quite a show and tell. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their show and tell, we're going to go into a furnace so hot that it'll kill those who throw us in. And we will walk out of that fiery furnace. Daniel had a show and tell. Twelve hours with hungry lions. 
And he comes out unscathed. Jonah had a show and tell. The most brutal empire that ever existed, Assyria. The tortures they inflicted, hard to describe. And when he goes there for three days, the entire capital city is converted as the Spirit descends. This girl, no miraculous powers. This girl, no fiery furnace, no lion's den, just her, just her. I want you to investigate this servant girl with me. She's seven, eight, nine years of age. Her parents, most likely, 90% chance they were killed before the children's eyes. Her house was burned, along with everything in it, and her village was ransacked by the army of Aram Damascus. Her life is spared. Where does God put her? Where does God put her? In the very home of the one whose army has destroyed everything that her heart held dear. God puts her in that house. I'm assuming that if she was older, Naaman would not have taken her in. The risk would have been too great that she would have taken Naaman's life or at least tried to do it. But she's only six, seven, or eight years of age. That's where God puts her. And you know as well as I that when she is put there, and every time she sees Naaman's face, the anger and the rage and the desire for vengeance must be exceedingly intense. She can hardly wait till she's old enough to poison his food. She can hardly wait till she's old enough to do something for payback. And here comes God to whom she prays. And this man who she hates with a deeper passion than any human being on this earth. The news comes. He has leprosy. And his wife's face becomes as white as a ghost. And maybe she falls to the ground. And everyone in that palace, they begin to mourn. And maybe this girl, when she hears the news, maybe she says, karma has come. If she was any other girl except this girl, unnamed in the Bible, if she was any other girl, she'd say, karma has come. Thank you, God, for answering my prayers. He wasn't killed quickly in battle for which I have prayed. You have given him leprosy. And instead of dying quickly, he will die over a course of many, many years, and it will be so painful for him, and he will get what he deserves. If it was any other girl, that's what she would have said 
She would have tried to hide the smile because the smile would have cost her her life. Any other girl. But not this one. Not a lion's den, not a fiery furnace. But so drastic a change in her that she goes from hatred to compassion in one snap of the finger. When Solomon was appointed by David, his father, to take over the kingship, Second Kings 4, God said to Solomon, pray for anything you want. He didn't say, I'll give it to you. He said, pray for anything you want. He wanted to test Solomon. And Solomon said, at my age to rule over so vast a kingdom, he's 18 years of age at that time. I ask for your wisdom. And God came to him and he said, because you didn't ask for wealth and power, because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies, I will make you the wisest man on this earth. This servant girl did not ask for the death of her enemy. Because when she found out he had leprosy, whatever anger was there melted away in the compassion that God had put within her heart. And she said to her weeping mistress, there is a prophet in Israel And if your husband goes to him, he'll be cleansed. Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If Christ has invaded any man, they're a new creature. The old way of dealing with circumstances is gone. The old hatreds are gone. The old prejudices are gone. The old desires are gone. Behold, says God, when I touch you, you'll become new. God touched the girl. And she did the impossible. She sought to save the life of Naaman. It's one thing to read Romans 12. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Return no man evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. It's one thing to see it in words. But when you actually see it in person. Luke 18, rich young lawyer comes to Jesus, says to him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, you have an idol. The idol is your money. You're so smart, you're so intelligent, you're so charismatic. I'm going to tell you to get rid of all of your wealth, give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. 
with your intellects, with your charisma, with your smarts, you're going to be one of the greatest disciples I've ever had. And he walked away because he's a very wealthy man and he couldn't do it. Zacchaeus could, but not this man. And when Jesus saw him walk away, the Bible says he was sad because he loved the man. And I don't think he said it to his disciples. I think he was talking to himself and the disciples overheard him. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. I think he was just talking to himself. The disciples heard it. And they said, who then can be saved? And God said, it is not possible with men. It is possible with God. In that hymn you sang, Henry Letterman talks about transforming our stubborn clay into something that God can use. He transformed the clay of the girl who's mentioned in three verses in the Bible. And when Naaman is cleansed, he stands in front of Elisha, And he makes that incredible assertion. There is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. Did he do what Nebuchadnezzar did? No, he didn't have the power. Did he do what Darius did? No, he didn't have the power. Did he do what Sennacherib did? No, he didn't have the power. Those three kings said, My empire shall worship Jehovah God. Naaman didn't have the power. I wish the story went a few more verses. Did he go back to Ben-Hadad the king? And then Ben-Hadad said, where are your leprosy gone? He said, the God of Israel has healed it. And did Ben-Hadad say, my empire shall worship the God of Israel? Marianne Williamson once said, the greatest healing ointment in the world is forgiveness. Harsh word stirs up angry. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Heart filled with anger and hatred destroys the body. Forgiveness lightens the soul. On this Sunday, 16th anniversary of John's passing, could Connie and Paul and Joshua... Could we have said, my goodness gracious God, why have you done with Jonathan what you have done? Could we have, but by the grace of God, I suppose. This weekend is always a difficult one for Connie and myself. doesn't matter how many years have gone by. It's also when we sing the hymn we just sang, written by Henry Letterman, that always touches my heart. Because as I've told you many times, he was a professor of mine at Concordia University in River Forest. And in the spring of that year, he stumbles and he falls. And the next week, he drops his books And that fall, he comes back in a wheelchair. MS, age 58. 
And I look at that hymn, and every time we sing it, I sit and say, Henry, why weren't you so angry at God? Why didn't you walk away from the faith like Billy Graham's associate, Templeton, did when he saw suffering in the world? Why didn't you walk away from the faith, Henry Letterman? You spent your entire career telling students about God as you taught English literature. And when I look at that hymn that we sang just now, 27 years later, God is still using Henry Letterman's poetry and his hymns to touch at least my life, if not the life of many others. Henry Letterman, the strands, this girl. And God comes and he touches the storms. And is his hands. Bold statement. All things work together for good to those that love him. Here's my close to this message. Last parable Jesus ever spoke, Matthew 25. He says to those on his right hand, come inherit the kingdom. But God's children, you and I, were so humble and so realized about our sinful lives that they said to him, why are you going to let me into the kingdom? I don't deserve it. And you remember what he said. You saw someone hungry, you fed him. Thirsty, you gave him something to drink. Naked, you put clothes on him. Sick, and you visited them in prisons of fear and worry, shame and guilt. And you came to them. I've told you a hundred times that it's not just food that makes them hungry. The widow next door to your house Loneliness rules her life. She's hungry and thirsty for companionship. I hope she comes to LWML. I hope she comes to Lunch Bunch. I hope she joins some group. I hope she sings in the choir. They're hungry and they're thirsty, not just for food, but for someone to care enough to call or stop by in the midst of our busy schedule. And they're hungry and thirsty for one other thing. You have God. Paul and Connie and Joshua have God in the midst of the nightmare. There are so many that you work with, take the train with, next door neighbors that you play softball with. There are so many that don't have him. That's their hunger and thirst. Will you share the promises of God? With them, like the servant girl did. Let me tell you about my God. He can cure this illness. Here's your checklist. You want to write it down. Little Things Matter. That's the title of the sermon, right? Matthew 10, and not a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. It doesn't say not an eagle falls to the ground. It says a sparrow says the hairs on your head are all numbered. I won't say anything further. Those are tiny little things. 
sparrows and hare. So here's your list. Little things. You take a moment to make a phone call and you'll never realize what a difference that one phone call made. You took a moment to get some ribs from patio and bring it to his house. He's going through a difficult time. He lost his wife a month ago. You'll never know the difference that visit made doing that little thing. You took a moment to mention to your friend that Trinity Lutheran Church has a great school. And they came here and they've been here for years. You'll never know what that one comment made. You gave the person in front of you $20 in the grocery store checkout line. You didn't make a big deal of it. You saw they were $20 short and the cashier is taking food out of his basket and it's really embarrassing for him. So very, very quietly, without anyone else seeing it, you slip a $20 or $40 bill into his hands. He'll remember that 20 years from now and he'll try and pay back that kindness to someone else. She woke up in the morning dreading the fact that her driveway was going to be covered with snow. And she's gone through that divorce and he's not around. But when she wakes up, someone has shoveled her driveway. And she looks up and does one of these and says, thank you, God. I don't know who it was, but thank you, God. I'll give you two crucial ones. He's eight years of age, and he's never been invited to a birthday party. For any number of reasons, in that classroom, he has never been invited to a birthday party. And your daughter said, I'm going to invite him. And 60 years from now, he'll remember that. And the last one is one I saw a month ago. You're picking teams to play kickball. And there are all the athletes, the strong ones and the fast ones. And there's a little girl who never gets picked except last. And your child, thanks to the upbringing they've had, and thanks to the grace of God, your child, 10 years of age, picks the girl who's always picked last. I know that she'll remember that 40 years from now, because I will certainly remember what I saw The Bible asks us to be one thing, not powerful, not rich, not smart, not pretty, not handsome. The Bible asks us to be one thing, and that is kind. Let your good works, it doesn't say great works, let your good works shine forth that others might see that kindness. And then give thanks 
to God. Naaman did not praise Elisha. He praised the God of Elisha in our Savior's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us to be your servants on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.